Hello and welcome back to Waypoint 101, where Waypoint and its contributors chat in detail about classic games or just, well, <laughs> just games that Patrick pitched because he's like, oh, maybe that was a classic. I heard off. some that people never, say, hmm. Has Waypoint 101's always been a classic? Was that part of the original pitch? No, but there's the diamonds and the rough thing. This was, I think this is the most on spec. Waypoint one one oh one has ever been. I would like, I'm I not think a you'd have to go back to Mad Max to find something where we were like Yeah, we've heard some good things and yeah. but like that was not I think the gamble that the thing was. Um which is which is what you pitched. You're sort of answer these these questions that have been lingering for you for, for years. Uh for today, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by you've already heard him, Patrick Lepic, the founder oh. of this feast. <laughs> Hey, we a price. Carpenter's Ooh, the thing. It's all I'm, fine. I'm loving this yummy feast. Thank you, Patrick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're welcome. Carter Contreras. What kind of meat do you want today? Um, I want barbecue thing. Um, <laughs> fortunate, fortunately, it is an ample supply in this game. <laughs> do you want a swirl of dark and dark and white meat? I'm sure you could find it somewhere oh, amongst the I, masses. I, <laughs> making it too real. <laughs> Based on the rules of the 1950s, the thing from another planet, would I be, as a vegetarian, be able to eat thing? Yeah, technically. The thing is a plant. The thing is a plant. It's a plant. Yeah. Wow. Plant meat. That troubles me. Impossible. (laughs) Impossible burger. The impossible Uh, alien. (laughs) That makes me feel worse. (laughs) That's why it's impossible. It does it comes from a different world. <laughs> so yeah, mm. on on today's show we are we are tackling the PlayStation Two the thing, uh, a game that Patrick and I played on stream together uh, for a number of sessions and were very high on it first, and then we had a bit of a journey from there. Uh, Patrick, you want to sort of intro us to this game and set the stage a little bit before we dive into our experiences? Yeah, I think when we have done Waypoint 101s on cultishy games in the past, it's been games that you can have like a little more confidence in where you'd find your way in on it, right? Like a Mad Max or a Binary Domain in which like, okay, we kind of know where we're going to, where the fun is that we'll find in it and we'll, you know, then the discussion will you know, lead us, you know, outward in a bunch of different ways. Um, and And even outside of that, traditionally, a lot of our like retrospective stuff has been... Like, we also does Super Metroid because he's never played Super Metroid. Like, okay, but, like, that game is a fucking masterpiece classic. Like, that'll be fine. And when I was trying to figure out which game I wanted to do, I was definitely pulling from a well of games that I was fairly confident that could end up mediocre, but was hoping for something interesting to come out of them. And I wanted to tick them off of a long list of games that I just no other way will I ever get to them unless... Like, I do it in this form and then kind of satisfy, like, closing the loop on, especially a genre that means a lot to me. Survival horror, Resident Evil is is a genre that uh, really defined a lot of my youth. And the thing was one that I just didn't end up playing. It may have been that I didn't even have, like, 
the thing as a film on my radar at the time it was announced. Um, but so that's that, that was part of the process of how I landed on, on pitching this one. But to kind of set everything up like in, in broader strokes. So the thing is a the third person survival horror action games released in 2002 for the PS2, Xbox and PC acts as a direct sequel to the 1982 film from Carpenter, which you covered in an earlier podcast. Um with players uh, very early on running into the very scene depicted in the movie's famously ambiguous ending, although now with zero ambiguity, which, like, the lack of subtlety there, maybe in <laughs> retrospect, is, like, sort of a sign of things to come about, about the game. Uh, you control a U.S. Special Forces officer named Captain Blake, who'd been sent to the Antarctic to find out what happened. Things go wrong almost immediately. Um, it was interesting from the original press release in September 2000. This is from IGN. Universal Interactive, which is a thing that does not exist anymore, I believe, uh, and Konami, also a thing that barely exists <laughs> anymore, uh, today announced the company has entered an agreement uh, will bring the movie studio's classic film, The Thing, to next-generation game systems. Uh, Konami representative confirmed to us uh, this afternoon the game will indeed be released on the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance when the system hits mm. the U.S. next year. The thing is a phenomenal franchise that gamers have been requesting for a long time, said Jim Wilson, senior VP and general manager of Universal Interactive Studios. This franchise represents an incredible opportunity to draw upon Universal's rich movie history and today's technology to create a one-of-a-kind gaming experience. At the time, next generation would mean GameCube, PS2, Xbox, um, and the, the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance versions. I don't even know that they ever a- entered active development from what I could from the research I did, those seem to sort of flame out um, at some point. Um, have you played a Resident Evil game? Like at this point in the timeline, uh, this is this is announced in 2000. Resident Evil 3 came out in 1999. Resident Evil Code Veronica would be coming out for the Dreamcast in 2000. So it kind of like like the announcement fits in between um, these like big pivot points in Resident Evil's own history. Um, but if you've played like a Resident Evil sort of game, you'd be familiar with the thing. The difference here is like thankfully one of the combat uh uh, the control schemes and the thing actually unlocks proper dual stick movement, which lets you move and aim separately instead of walking around like a tank, something that would define Resident Evil even when it made the jump to the Dreamcast on on Code Veronica. Um, but moment to moment, the thing is collecting ammo, shooting monsters, moving to the next area. Uh, I kind of rinse, repeat that. What makes the game unique, kind of why we decided to revisit it, or at least what it, why it always kind of like hung my interest on it was because at the time, the game had this sort of unique squad system that attempted to incorporate the deception mechanics of the Carpenter film. So in the movie, it's impossible to know whether someone's been infected by this extraterrestrial creature, and the only thing to know for sure is either light them on fire or do a blood test. Although I guess in the the film, it's a blood test that you're just applying fire to to discover um, if it reacts. Um, So in the movie, and then in theory in the game, anyone at any time could be a threat, and the video game's pitch is this is should be true of your squad members uh, you run into throughout the game. Um, you can test their blood. You can see if they're actually loyal or just pretending to tag along. Squad mates can also experience anxiety and panic. You have to manage their stress by maybe moving them out of an area or giving them a shot of adrenaline and just medically calming them down. Um, how this does and doesn't work is obviously something that we will get into the discussion. Um, but it's not shocking why maybe that seemed interesting at the time, why it sort of stayed as sort of like a cult interest in the in the years since. Um, I do think it was interesting as I was reading back on old reviews. Um, there's an old GameSpot review written by eventual Valve writer and old man Murray co-founder Eric Wolpaw, who people forget like did just fucking he just reviewed the thing. Um, I bet he actually played his games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This is GameSpot, Deep not GameSpy. There were higher standards over there. Uh, <laughs> 
In the uh, Eric uh, Eric writes in theory, this fear trust infection system sounds like a great way to capture the film's atmosphere of unrem- unremitting paranoia. In practice, however, has little impact on the game. The actions that earn your teammates trust and lower their fear are all things you'd be doing anyway: arming them, supplying them with ammo, healing them, and fighting monsters. So while it's possible for a sidekick to lose his mind or to turn on you, it'll never actually occur except as a result of a conscious decision on your part to make it happen just to witness the results. Only once during the short seven hours it took to finish the thing did a team ever ever succumb to fear, and that may have been largely unavoidable part as part of a puzzle sequence. The threat of companions turning into things is less of a source of terror and more of a minor inconvenience since the things are generally no match for your weapons. When a teammate turns, you'll kill them and move on. It's generally no great loss, both uh, because existing team members often don't follow you across level transitions and because new members are available at regular intervals. Every other video game is about a solitary hero fighting a horde of monsters, so just having a, a, a set of armed guards, even if some of them are things, actually further undercuts the game's horror quotient. Which made me think maybe don't we don't have to do a one on one. Seems like Woolpaw really kind of just summed up that game in those two <laughs> paragraphs. Um, but um, this was an era where like there was PC versions of this. The PC version of this game is like dog shit. Like most PC versions were complete dog shit. It's like it was released on PC because maybe all you had was a PC, but like you should really be playing the console versions of most of these games. So uh, we played the quote PlayStation Two version of this game. It has not been re released anywhere since. Konami originally published it. Licensing deals get. Fucking weird over time, uh, unless you have like a, uh, oh, who's that studio that has been doing some of that stuff? Night Dive. Of, Night Dive, right? Like, you need someone like that mm-hmm. who's like going to go dig around in the archives and negotiate with lawyers. Um, so, you know, maybe that could happen someday. Uh, but right now it is sort of the thing that you have to do your own work, finding a box copy or go to some Russian websites. Um, a sequel to the game was in development, but then the game's developer, Computer Artworks, went under. Uh, it went, it was in development long enough to show gameplay clips and even reveal its premise which would have seen players actively teaming up with, spoiler, McCready, uh, the main <laughs> character of the Carpenter film, and pursuing the alien to an icebreaker <clears throat> ship. Um, but then, yeah, the, the studio went under. That The sequel never came out. Um, and then there's been a Yet remake. Yet another of, long-awaited sequel set abo- aboard a stranded icebreaker uh, hold, uh, holding a dark secret. <laughs> <laughs> the thing in uh, Half-Life 2 Episode 3. Uh, clenching Eric Wolfhaw. Involved in both. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, so that brings us to the thing at Waypoint 101. Uh, Rob, you did mention, yes, uh, you know, where I think the first half of this game, we were pretty, like, medium to high on where it could go. Um, it turns into kind of a corridor shooter by the end. Um, but we've talked, you know, we'll, we'll get into our, our discussions and our, and our thoughts. But, I, you know, I, Kato, you watched us. Ren, um, I did not force everyone to play through all this game, especially once I hit the fire sequence in like <laughs> the last third. It's like I just, I just, you know, yes, the dream of the one hundred and one is everyone plays from start to finish, but I, even I, in my heart of hearts, cannot cannot ask people to do this. But I am uh, curious. I guess Ren, let's start with you. You're the fir- the one yeah. person we have not heard of at all because Kata was sometimes on those streams. Um, I don't know. What did Ren you was back up on one. I was, yeah, I was, I mean, I oh, only yes, you produced from one of them. Yes, yes. I only um, produced, but didn't really talk. Um, yes. I think that, so I put a couple hours into, into the game. I actually found it's controls. I didn't do the adjustments to mm-hmm. make it a twin stick. I actually played with tank controls. I found the game actually extremely controllable. Like it felt surprisingly okay to play. Um, but I think that the feeling I get from the thing is, of course, like, We've been like talking around this, but it is not around this intentionally, but it is a game that is clearly ahead of its time or trying to be ahead of its time and trying to build a systems driven 
game around technology and design trends that don't facilitate that. Um, one of the things that I read while looking up, uh, while looking doing my own research in the game was that like it was not originally pitched as a corridor shooter. It was pitched as an open world game uh, or semi-open world game in which it was almost entirely systems driven. Uh, and relied really heavily on the fear and trust mechanics that were kind of laid out, uh, that Patrick laid out earlier. And I think that you can very clearly see the echo of that in the game, but it feels like they made 45% of that game and then suddenly got a directive to so make it more game development line. happened? Yeah, um, exactly. Like, you know, you know, I've been, uh, I don't even know if this is like, a, there's, this, there's a, a thing going around about like the new game, the new Fable game in which there was somebody on some podcast was like, hey, man, this game's running into trouble. They're cutting back features. The technology is causing them issues. I think this game might be in trouble. And it's like, oh, what? Like, you mean they're making a video game? Like, you know, that just, <laughs> you know, oh, uh, shocking. Uh, the ambition outstrips what you're actually capable of doing when it becomes time to, like, ship the thing. And I, I think you're right, Ren. You can, you can see so much, especially in those early hours. Oh, a boy, like what they were going for and what got Rob and I excited early on as we thought like how this could, even if it ended up being in a more traditional Resident Evil style game, like, okay, but maybe these systems make that Resident Evil style game a little more interesting, um, even if it fails to accomplish that as the game moves forward. Yeah, I think that it, it kind of sits in almost a similar place to a, a game we discussed in the podcast a little bit ago, and I and I wrote a little bit about Abermore. Um, mm -hmm. where it is a game with a very obvious potential and very obvious ambition to a degree that like is all that is not unique in games, but is rare to see that ambition and and those systems so clearly surfaced, right? Usually if you're going to have cut features or, or cut systems, they are cut. And the fact that they're still here as echoes and as obvious as they are is interesting to me personally. I, I think that like the, the thing really surfaces what it could have been. And that's part of like why it's a cult classic right is that it's so clear what they wanted to do i think it's the case it's a game where and i can see why sort of its mystique has lived on is that if you were to tell someone on paper what it's trying to do like it, it's a, it's immediately interesting especially when you find out oh they were trying that in 2002 huh i wonder how that turned out <laughs> and then you play it and you go oh that's how that turned out um but it's like on paper the notion that you're playing a game in which squad mates have anxiety, stress, you're managing that, that can turn at any time into some sort of creature, like, is, is still, is, like, is, is the reason that I still found it appealing. It's like, oh, I would love to see how they were attempting to pull that off within, you know, a licensed video game uh, from Konami, which doesn't necessarily see, like, the most ideal place to to lay those ambitions. I was just looking this up. It was really cursory search. So like, uh, you know, I, I'm, pr I probably stand to be corrected, but I was looking, trying to figure out when trader games become more of a thing in the board game space. Mm -hmm. And this is really happening even before that. A lot of times you can sort of see maybe like mechanics ideas bubble up in tabletop, uh, before they like eventually make their way over into video games that doesn't really happen here, which I, for me kind of makes this game more impressive. Cause I think what it's trying to do is it's trying to get at like, it seems like it was a really productive and like insightful meeting about like what makes the thing work as horror, right? What's, what's scary. What's the tension and what makes the like procedural element of like what the characters are doing throughout the film, like compelling. And I think they come up with a lot of the right answers, right? It is the fact that um, 
the minute anyone is sort of out of sight, anything could happen to them. They could be sort of seamlessly swapped uh, for the monster or, t- or taken over. Uh, it is the fact that there is uh, effectively until they come up with a uh, like special test, there is no way to like prove who is currently not infected and uh, reveal who is. Um, and there's the idea that as long as someone has not been unmasked, they could be actively working against you, uh, as you're, as you are trying to do this. And the fact that every character has these same pieces of information that McCready's our primary, like point of view character in that story. But like every single character knows that this is the score and has to assess the other characters through this lens of like, I don't know if you're really human. And, this is like this becomes an entire genre in board games and uh, especially where you've you've got the Battlestar Galactica game. People are pushing us to play a board game adaptation adaptation of the thing, which we might we might actually do uh, later this month. Um, there's I think one of the earlier efforts in this was a game called uh, Shadow over Camelot, uh, which was a like a Arthurian uh tabletop game where you're trying to figure out like who is who is serving Mordred basically who is who has betrayed the, the round table but the idea is like there's this entire genre now in tabletop that is designed to have players working together but also like leave open the possibility that like someone in here is actively like has different victory conditions is trying to do something else and is working against uh the team and I think in this in this video game adaptation, without those references to draw from, even like it's it's predating the sort of surge in this in interest in these types of mechanics in tabletop. Um, it arrives at some decent ideas about how you're going to capture the drama and tension of the thing in the form of a video game. I think the real misfortune. Then I think Patrick, like I think this game, like got really far with us in terms of goodwill because it effectively in its tutorial also presents you with its design document. Yes. The the <laughs> yeah. help text you get in the first five minutes is like, and here's what's going on in this game. And there's corny bits. Like you have funny things like the medic loves to wear his little toque with the, with the red cross. <laughs> the engineer always has his trusty cap. By the way, it may also be revealing that the game can't even adhere to these, yeah. right? That the game doesn't even like stick to these sort of like clear. And here's how the roles work. Doesn't work after that scene. Uh, (laughs) But like the game presents you with, okay, so like the characters, there's a trust bar. And if you lose the trust of characters, they won't respond to your orders. You lose them as a squad resource. Uh, But, you know, you can get it back by like giving them things and like demonstrating trust. Uh, But then, of course, there's also we're taking them out of a room, right? Like it's I think it's interesting that it's not just like sort of an item manipulation of a health bar. It is literally look. They experience something terrible in this room, whether they see a body or the transformation of of a of, of, of person to a thing. They're of of course they're anxious. Like take them to another room, give them a chance to breathe. Like that. Like like you see like the on paper part of it in those elements where it's like, oh, these are the original meetings about, about the game <laughs> laid bare in in the tutorial uh, hour or two hours really. Right, and like this is, but in that in that opening tutorial, I'm like, okay, like. And once it takes its hands off you and like sort of sends you rolling through the game with the, uh, you know, now the training wheels are still on. You still have these systems to help you navigate what's going on. But like the game's going to unfold according to these rules. And you're kind of waiting for that moment of like, man, I can't wait until like 
they just let the systems interact and you're kind of just playing the game in light of the fact that like there's this trust meter. And then the fact that like, yeah, the other characters can get psychologically overwhelmed by what's going on. And then you and I were kind of like, man, this is getting good. This is getting, (laughs) oh man, you can see where this is going. And pretty much the minute you're out of like that first act, it's like, well, we're just a shooter now. Like, sorry, we just couldn't like the game we sketched out in the tutorial. We're just not that game. And the rest of the time, it's going to be a shooter. It's going to be judged by different metrics. And I think this is the the frustrating and endearing thing about the thing is that, like, I think there's an entire game described in the tutorial that effectively doesn't exist uh, the minute you get to that research base. Yeah. Yeah. I've, the other thing I've been thinking about as we, as we talk about this is the ways in which, like, the game's actual systems design feels utterly at odds with its like narrative narrative system design, right? It's like game and narrative system design, like technical narrative design, feels totally at odds with the systems that they built. The most like obvious example being the ways in which your allies have scripted turning points and also can be effect- infected previously. And like the technical narrative design requirement for a bunch of scenes is that these allies turn at point A or B in the story, right? But they also built all of these systems around those things that then end up undercutting both the reveal when the person turns, but also the actual systemic interactions that they that they produced. The two halves of the games are like of the of the game are actively at odds with one another in a way that I find really interesting. Yeah, the, the funniest probably instance of this came in the latter half of the game. Um uh, there was there's a sequence where we uh, walked into some, you know, bland research area number 65 um, in which there was kind of a standoff between two uh, characters and you're supposed to pick a pick a side. Um, and it, it kind of seemed like the game scripting sort of broke. So that part didn't really work for us. But ev- eventually, like you, you get one of these dudes to come with you um, and the game is always defaulting to an engineer. Because there are numerous sequences in which your character can do level one engineering work, but cannot do level two or level three engineering work. And you need an actual engineer to pull those off. And so the engineer, this is where, you know, a lot of what Ren's, you know, uh, uh, talking about here, uh, it, like it, this, this tension between the various like designs and, and narrative come into play is that the game needs you to have an engineer because we have dissolved, designed puzzles that require you to have an engineer because we're not going to let you as the player be, use their engineer status. It's not high enough to 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 fix this fuse break or whatever. Um, and there was this moment where before we started one of the streams, I was just fucking around, making sure that all the tech stuff worked, and I just killed the dude in front of me. And he was an engineer, and he one transforms into a thing, two then dies, and the game game goes game over. Like you can't continue. So. That was an an instance in which the pre-scripted thinging, which they didn't want to happen until later, but the state of the game had already turned them into a thing internally. It's like the flag had flipped on the character state. Um, So if you do a blood test, it's effectively a game over. And so you can find out that they're a thing. And so you can see where the system is working. Like, I don't know how the game, like, were they always a thing? Did they become a thing at some point during the process of running around with them. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that if I killed them, which is the th- what I should do, the game goes, ah, shit. 
while you need them to get to the next area. Um, and that, like, that just goes to show, I was like such a singular example of them running into so many instances in which the level progression was locking them into moments where the systems like just didn't have enough dynamic elements to like work themselves out of like the different puzzles and, and, and levels they were like just building to move the game story forward. It really feels like the narrative designers, the level designers, and the systems designers were all making totally different games and then showed up to a meeting one day and were like, here's what we have. And then they were all like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Well, I guess we kind of just have to type this together. And that's how agile development was invented. And it's like totally separate teams ended up making this weird, messy game that is very obviously filled with potential, but hard to actually play and engage with in a meaningful way. Well, and I also, like, I'm left wondering to, like, is this a case of, in some ways, you can always admit, like, probably one of the easiest things to do is just, like, generate linear shooter levels compared to creating like complex systems interactions that like are like are going to be working throughout the throughout throughout the length of the game and it's more straightforward like it's more it's a better known quantity with 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 better known problems and i and i kind of like it's a game i look at and i I do kind of wonder is this a case of uh we realized we couldn't really deliver on what we were trying to do uh, or we just didn't have confidence that it would like scan uh, to two players or if they just ran out of time in terms of development and needed to like bulk out the game with uh, with what they could do, which was toss you into rooms with like the same two or three like enemy models and have you go through the routine of killing them. Like, I don't know. Um, but the yeah, the 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 discontinuity between the rules the game lays out at the start and then how the rest of it plays out is really really striking it is it is like it's it's rare that a game feels like literally as soon as you're out of the tutorial it forgets what it was trying to do entirely it's like a tutorial for a completely different game that they didn't they didn't get around it also feels like you're playing the vertical slice right like Mm -hmm. what like, you know, for I'm sure most people have heard this term, but like a vertical slice is I mean, a couple different things It'd be like, uh, you know, but oftentimes it's like you polish out a small version of what you want the full game to be in order to like sell your pitch to a publisher or it could be um, like an E3 demo. Right. Like in, th- in that way, you're like taking one section of a game, making it look like a final product while you're working on on figuring out the rest. Um, and in in this case, it really does feel like. Because of, I mean, you're reading like the equivalent of like a novella, I or what feels like a novella in those opening hours. That that would make sense. And like, hey, we're trying to walk through a publisher. Um, like, this is exactly the game's trying to do here in these opening two hours. Like, this is how these systems could play off one of another. And then, hey, there'll be six, seven more hours of this as the story unfolds. Um, and then, like as Rob pointed out, like once you leave, it's kind of like once you finish that area where you have to rescue the guy in the kitchen. Um, yes. I think that's where we were at our high point with the game in terms of where we believed the systems could possibly go. And then um, we had that moment where like one of the characters like ran off to like where the next level would load and we didn't know why they were. And it was just 
that like it's both where we hit the high and then also like reality broke on like what the <laughs> systems and like AI also like this is also a, a, an instance in which it's not purely just like what flags the game is putting in the background and sort of like triggers for what is a thing and what isn't a thing. It is also like it, it, frequently in this game, it was difficult to discern and control. Like you have this squad, but also like extremely limited control over what they can and can't do. You have follow me, stay put. You can give them ammunition. You can give them guns. Um, you can't control sort of like the, their aggression state, right? Like you can't say, Hey, you've got a flamethrower. Maybe fucking don't because <laughs> the flame is pers- the fire is persistent on the ground and will hurt all of us quite a bit. Um, you, uh, you know, if you want to try to calm a character down, you can't necessarily, it's like very tricky sometimes to get them to come into another room. There's the, you know, towards the latter half of the game, the infamous stair sequence in which I am just trying to get two squad mates to follow me down uh, these stairs, which Kata was convinced that, well, if you just run away, they'll probably catch up with you. Eventually. And then had that immediately disproven when I went like down to this area where the characters got caught behind a fence and I had to just like push the character models, like knock them over a couple of inches so that they would like rebind to the, to the characters, uh, the main character's point of view. Um, and it's all stuff like that where, um, it's not as simple as just, well, the level design doesn't allow the systems to flourish. It is just the case that like some of the stuff is just either undercooked or ahead of its time, um, or just too ambitious relative to what's here. Like, I think it was probably all of the above. Um, but it's, it's the where it becomes kind of a death by a thousand cuts where you go from reading this really like cool, ambitious layout of what could be and then just a lot of frustration over your inability to engage with it the way that the game is promising i want to call out though the fact that i was looking at like i looked at the eric walpaw review i pulled up tom Schick's games by review um you know some some other reviews from the period and i think one thing that is sort of take like taking me back a bit is how positive a lot of these old reviews are and how generous they are. And it does remind me that like in the context, like I think we'll pause is maybe the most specific, like pointed about this. Like, of course you expect movie tie in games to just be the worst thing you've ever played in your life. <laughs> and so the fact that this is like tolerable is it's trying. Yeah. Well done. Congratulations. It cares about the, the source thing. material. Yeah. You can feel like this game is getting a lot of eight out of tens. And it's probably more of a six out of 10 sort of game, but relative to expectations and the fact that it's respectful to the source material, although maybe not given the way that it shits on the ending, but I like put that aside because they need to find a way to tie it into the plot. I get it. It's not that big of a deal. The movie's still amazing. But like, yeah, this is like so, I mean, this is pre Arkham Asylum, you know, like this is so far before licensed games had any sort of credence like you you put a you slap the thing on a third person action game because it was cheap to produce well and you just find so many games like I, I think reviewers at the time are so used to dealing with the glut of games that is out there that like against that backdrop this probably does clearly like stand above at least the uh the average quality level of games coming out at the time that's part of what I've been thinking about because while the game is deeply like incongruous with itself with itself it is also like from what I played and what I watched 
relatively competent. Like, for all the times that the systems break, which is frequently, the actual moment-to-moment level design is fine. If the systems aren't get when the systems aren't getting in its way, it's all fine. The shooting, fine. Like every part of the game is competent enough as to like, and that's part of like the feeling of that it is was made by three different teams who made complete games and then showed up in the same room and were like, oh fuck, we gotta tape all this together. Is that all of the parts feel close to fully formed? In such a way that it was like, yeah, this is totally fine. But the ambition and the disappointment therein is like, I think colors a lot of our responses to the game. Uh, it kind of way I heard from you very much. Like you spent, did you play some of the game or did you mostly yeah. just watch the, the streams? I'm curious what, what I went, your... I went back through and got up to the <laughs> other than look Other than looking up YouTube walkthroughs to see Kato, does the damage output on this fucking vent, is it the same for the people doing the walkthroughs? God. Uh... I um I went I went through and got up to the fucking uh boss where you zap them, the zappy boss. Oh yeah, that bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. as far as I got. <laughs> That's fine. You did you mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also I also played on uh hard, which was a better mode, I think, which mm-hmm. is very funny. Uh, because all that hard mode does is like there's an auto aim in the game, right? Uh, it basically narrows the cone where the auto aim snaps on, which means you can mm. actually be more selective with what your auto aiming sticks mm. to. Oh wait, because that yeah. was constantly yeah. in it. So uh, yeah, we should explain. I also did this. I also did this. It felt <laughs> what, really the fine. The difficulty in this game, I, uh, maybe it involves you know impact. Usually when you think of difficulty in a game, it's like oh, it's going to constrain resources. Uh, it's gonna modify like damage output, uh, health of enemies and the player. Maybe that's true in the thing, but primarily it appears the thing that the difficulty meter does is change the way aiming works. So when you play it, I played it on normal, and that creates sort of an auto aim cone that is extremely wide and frequently made it difficult to aim at enemies where my bullets would be spraying in a way that uh, I was just spraying. Now, the game gave me enough ammo that it was not usually a problem, but I think it's fascinating that you were able to be more selective with yeah. the... The game's saying it's harder. It's like, no, actually, you can just do what you want. Right, right. It, it thinks that, like, no, having uh, having the computer automatically choose the closest thing monster to you is what you will always want to do, which is not necessarily true. Sometimes you want to shoot behind the small one. Like, you remember that, f- uh, is it the first, like, real boss, I guess, where uh, you end up, you ended up on the stream running past mm-hmm. by opening a door instead of beating it? Yes. there There is a, there is one of your... One of the characters in the game, I don't know if it was a squad mate or not, um, turns into one of a, a more monstrous creature, and we weren't having much success defeating it, and then someone in the chat was like, yo, you just like, walk around to the left. <laughs> it's like, okay. And there's a cutscene you can get if you actually defeat it and get a story beat that I that I did not witness. It's a very... Sh- <laughs> Let me tell you, that <laughs> cutscene is uh, saying uh, something that I don't know that we're... At a, once you reach a certain damage threshold because i i i I killed the thing i killed that thing that first one Mm -hmm. because it turns out when you can more selectively aim 
uh, it's a lot easier to like dodge around and like hit the little vines that you want to like more regularly and actually deal good damage to them instead of it the aim kind of whipping around the room because there's so many different targetables available um basically at a certain damage threshold uh you see a human model pop out the top of the thing and then uh you come back to like just being in the boss room and uh it says like your quest to find the norwegian with the with the walkie-talkie is complete Right, apparently this is the person that you've been chasing the whole time. Like, there's like two cutscenes before this where like you see somebody running away and like they're oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. or something, <laughs> and that is that person. Like that that's but that's all that changes if you actually like stick through and like fight the thing. Um, but it's like it was wild how like difficult it was even with like the narrower focus to kind of like pinpoint like okay actually. Now there's like little mini beast things. I just want to focus the boss because I can kind of juke the the mini ones. But as soon as they would get right in that like little cone, it would like snap to them because they were like closer to me than the boss. And it was like even on hard, like the the most narrow view, I was still having a few problems. But it, it did make it a lot more uh, easier to uh, pinpoint who you wanted to attack, which I think is is funny that it ends up making it more playable in my eyes to be on hardest <laughs> mode. Because otherwise I just spent the entire game, I learned, oh, you should just be crouching. Just yes. like a day. That's also ABC, true. just like yeah. PUBG. It always be crouching. Um, there's no prone. Uh, it's the only way you're going to get a flame. Because otherwise, like when you use the flamethrower, if you if you were standing, it would always it would always produce fire at your feet yeah. that I would step in and get hurt it was this weird all, like all the time they they understood that sometimes you would want to shoot down towards the small ones or to create a line of fire to like wall yourself off from a group if you really wanted to but it's not intuitive to be like and then if you want to shoot straight you got to hit the crouch button <laughs> otherwise you're always pointing down um well even stuff like that like show like that's a level of nuance that you would not right not even just in licensed stuff, but like relative to contemporary survival horror games at the time, think, you know, you, how a game like Resident Evil, you know, thinks about difficulty is not, huh, like the cone in which the player, you know, it's a, I don't know if that's like the game's was necessarily a good idea by the game because that's not how anybody at the time thought about what difficulty meant. And even in picking that, I didn't really. I just thought that was like a metaphorical representation of like wide, narrow, like easy, difficult. Not no. that it was like a literal Literally, it representation was showing you what of it did. ABC. That explains yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to think about. The thing I've been thinking about this entire conversation is the way in which, um, what is it, Jedi Fallen Order, its difficulty tiers are based on the size of the parry window yeah. of the enemies that you're I fighting. That. I think. I think that the interesting thing with systems like this is that they understand difficulties related to like mechanical engagement or capacity for like mechanical like expression. And even with something like Fallen Order, there comes a point where if the parry window is so wide, it becomes a problem for actual play for like higher levels of play. You cannot do certain higher levels of play if the parry window is as wide as it is, because suddenly you're not able to juggle the same amount of like stimuli in combat, right? It's not able to have the same degree of flow because you are opening and like changing the timing windows of a ton of shit, right? And I think that in a lot of ways, this is doing that same thing, but with shooters 
in a way that is less clearly presented uh, and less well implemented, but at the same time, really interesting, right? I think that, like, again, it is another instance of this game having, like, pretty fascinating systems and competently produced systems that are utterly at odds with one another. Well, in theory, that would only apply to the console versions of the game, right? And I believe, if I remember right correctly, Woolpaw reviewed the PC version and did mention something about maybe that was, maybe it was the IG interview. There was something where someone was complaining about the PC controls. And now I wanted mm. to, oh no, here we go. Um, this is from Woolpaw's review. I haven't read this, but I just, it, it, I remember it tickled something in my brain. The controls are its only drawback. You view your character from a third person perspective. You can look left and right with the mouse but not up and down. Oh my God, right. There is no In order to look up and down, you need to hold in a free look key during which time you can't move. Yeah. Unless you're in the free look mode, aiming is automatic. It's a control scheme much more suited to a console gamepad (laughs) Uh, than the PC's combination of a keyboard and mouse. Uh, This is also an era in which, like, there's no real plug-and-play for game pads on a PC, it is possible. I had PC game pads, including like the Microsoft Sidewinder, which is like my early and early favorite PC game pad. Mm-hmm. But there was no consistency in able to like plug that in and it working on things. And so um, this wasn't like a thing where like you'd flip it around. It's like game pad support. It's like, I don't know. Hopefully somebody in the community figures it out. Um, uh, and and so, oh, God, this is very funny. Um so Wolpaul writes, uh, having no auto aim or even an option to toggle it on and off and a persistent free look and should essentially the de facto standard in third person PC games would have made for a much more satisfying control scheme. So like we're out here being like, holy fuck, the auto aim <laughs> is wild in this game. And then Wolpaul's out here going like, please, God, give me a little bit of auto aim. Uh, um, it's 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 very funny to me. Uh, having played this game uh, at the same time, at the same moment that I'm like working through uh, Citizen Sleeper mm-hmm. uh, because the... The full Waypoint experience. The yeah. discussion of 2002's adaptation of the thing with, <laughs> with, this, yeah. with 2022's year of the narrative game, Citizen Sleeper. Um, but it's like... That game does a very good job of setting up the threat of uh, certain types of failure that if you like played it out, aren't as, you know, there is like no like super hard fail states really, Um, or like they're really deep in like there's like ways to like fail forward is kind of the way that it's designed. Mm -hmm. But the threat there is well presented enough that you don't want to like see those things happen right to your character and you like try mm-hmm. to keep out on top of those systems and it feels like at the beginning of the thing the threat there of like people going like uh like loot like losing it or whatever the, the 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 game called it cracking or whatever and like starting to like shoot up their friends the threat it was enough to be like okay we should watch it when their head is like swinging all around that we want to move them around <laughs> but even if ultimately like no one ever really cracked the threat for the first half of the game was an interesting like piece of tension right well like, and there's also too many save points right? right like the game there there was maybe 
Well, it depends on the section points. too, though. Because well, some right. sections. So at the point, <laughs> yeah, the game, the game has the game finally in its back half has sequences that go on for really long periods of time, where it starts generating tension out out of the lack of a save point, which mm-hmm. is you know something key to the original survival horror games like Resident Evil, in which you have limited spots to save, and not only that, but limited item you know, resource items to use in order to produce those saves. And like, that was one of the ways that it extracted tension from the player beyond spooky monster. And like, do I have enough shotgun bullets? Um, And games have gotten away from that um, because they're probably more frustrating than, uh, than interesting. But uh, the thing exists in an era in which it's still doing arbitrary save points, you know, albeit without the the resource constraint. Um, but you can imagine a version of this game where, like, there were times where, like, a character would crack, uh, a level three crack, yes. as the game as the game puts it, um, and they start shooting their gun wildly, like, injuring me, injuring the other squad mates, and what if there was no easy save game to rely on? It's like, oh, I don't know, do you want to go back an hour? It's like, well, not really. Fuck, okay, well, maybe I'm going to put this guy down. Yeah. Um, and then maybe in the process, they turn into a thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's easy to see where, like, the rolling consequences of the systems and, and actions would produce really fascinating player choices or player consequences. But it, it just doesn't frequently put you in enough of a position to have to deal with them, um, even absent whether the systems themselves are, like, working properly. This is a, a stray thought as well, but I feel like this is... The wave hasn't crested yet, but I feel like there was this window where they were experimenting a lot more with the idea of squad games in this era where, like, you're playing a shooter, but, like, you're also controlling more than just your point of view character or you're mm-hmm. toggling between them. I'm thinking about, like, uh, the Brothers in Arms games, uh, Ghost Recon uh, sort of operated. Full Spectrum Warrior is a couple of years after this. Um but like, yeah, the idea of like ta- tactics in your shooter where you're like manipulating characters around you while also being the hero character. Yeah. And and like, I feel like um, this is I feel like you don't see that as much anymore. Like this isn't a This is an avenue that people just aren't experimenting much with anymore or uh, it didn't it, it didn't bear a ton of fruit. It, it seems like if you want this kind of like party management stuff you're going into RPG land in some way, shape or form, Uh, or you're playing a co-op game where you're having like more organic uh, interactions, like driven by the interaction between players Uh, or you're playing like a game like among us where the trader mechanic now is firmly entrenched and it's the players being tasked with, with acting it out. But when I look at a game like this, I, I do kind of, see it as an interesting experiment in terms of this notion of like squad based horror for lack of a better word, uh, where you take on the notion of being in charge of an interdependent like unit, but then also things can happen to the like component parts, uh, you know, when you're out of the room or you send people to, to go do something, uh, or you're very, or you're, like squad members can sort of reach a decision. Like it, the few times it happened to us in felt organic, it was really dramatic to come back into a room and suddenly hear like a machine gun, like burst to life and like rounds <laughs> yeah. down the hall. And it's like, what the hell? 
And it was startling. It was always, it was really, always a really effective beat when it happened where it's like, oh, shit, that guy lost it. Okay. Uh, how are we Shouldn't going have left to- have him in that room with that corpse, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't think... I, like, I think this this game is is playing around with some of these ideas well before this becomes like a mainstream avenue of experimentation in game design. But even there, I think it's like trying things with the idea of uh, the squad shooter that never really get tried again. I'm really like kind of stymied to think of another um, like squad game that employs horror. Right. Like I think Irrational did that version of SWAT that was going to be like, what if uh the SWAT crew was fighting like Eldritch monsters. That got canceled. But I think that's the I can't think of a lot that that operate in the space. And I and I do think like one of the things that maybe makes me more charitable this game and and a little bit regretful that it's not better is that I think if it had delivered on some of its ambitions even a little more effectively uh, I, I think it would have been a really interesting blueprint for other types of games that you could make um, instead of kind of being what it is, which is, you know, to your point, like a, a vertical slice at the start and then a pretty standard exercise in genre uh, in the next two thirds. It's also interesting when I was looking up when this game comes out, my like, like you know, the term systems is like pretty broad, like what, you know, um, but I didn't know it at the time, but like I was playing console games, but I also had a PC um, in this era. And like one of the games was like deeply transformative to the way I thought about games, interacted with games was a game that also comes out in 2000, the same year this game is announced, which is Deus Ex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a con- largely a console player or like a Doom style corridor shooter player on the PC in which... The way I thought about game systems, I didn't th- obviously use that terminology at the time. Both the, the language didn't really exist, and I was just, you know, reading things like EGM. But like things were binary, like you kill this, like you die, like you choose A or B, right? Um, it was rarely the case playing console games that there was enough dynamic elements that were outside of your control. Because it was traditionally, in con- a lot of these console games, you are in control, and you just do the thing. Or if you're making choices, it's a list of A, B, and C. And, you know, like Deus Ex, like famously that PC gamer demo disc where I played the Statue of Liberty level in which like, oh, my God, like they're like what felt like a million different ways when it was probably like three different ways to like tackle this. And there are enemies and characters doing things that I cannot predict. Shit. Like I've just never encountered a game like this. And I think that's also the case that was just not usually what you were experiencing if you had largely played console games like this was happening in the pc space like this was happening more often if you were playing games like you know deus ex or thief like where you're having these more systemic dynamic elements but part of what's i think maybe how you know this is just a theory but maybe helps explain why the thing kind of like ended up sticking in people's minds was that for folks that came across it gave it a chance it was this window into this what felt like avant-garde game design that was happening in a platform you had no access to. Deus Ex would eventually get ported to the PS2 and was like a pretty okay port for like what it was, but... Um, An like invisible this game... war bring it to the masses. <laughs> yeah, fucking <laughs> goddamn it. But I think, like, and again, I don't know, like, this is me just conjecturing, but like, I, I think there could be something to the notion that you're seeing some, like, really experimental PC game design that is just finding its way into the mainstream on the PC space kind of just like brought into a console game and it's an awkward fit, which maybe is part of why the reason it's so like heavily explained um, and a little bit half baked because it's like a, 
a traditional console survival horror shooter with like some of these like <laughs> the weird PC systemic game design ideas grafted onto it in a, in a, in a way that doesn't fully work out. Um, but I do something, I think some of that may go some way of explaining why this game has lived on in, cause I think it has more to do with its console versions than it has anything to do with, you know, it's probably pretty mediocre PC version. The other thing, the other interesting point of comparison to Deus Ex that uh, again, not to return to Abermore as a reference point, but Deus Ex, up until about, I believe, three or four months before its release, was not a good video game. And this is this is per the the stories of its developers. The game's systems were there and implemented and mostly functional, but the level order was completely wrong. And when they showed it to like families and friends, the feedback was pretty resoundingly negative. Uh, and they basically, the game only came together in the final months of its development. And I think that the interesting thing about the thing as a property and like the, the production cycle that it likely went through as a licensed product, it could not do that rapid pivot, right? It is, it is tied to the specific demands of Konami as a publisher and the like universal as a like license holder. Right. And so the rapid pivot that Deus Ex has to do in its final months of development, the thing never gets to do because of like the material conditions of its design. And that is, I think, the other thing that is very interesting to me uh, about like where the thing exists in the history of like game development and also like the con- like the cultural imagination like that you're talking about with like PC and, and console differences. There's one thing I want to like. We talked a lot about the the gap between what this the the markers this game puts down and and then sort of how it falls off that. I do want to note that in my view, there's even as it sort of like lets down lets us down from like following through on trying to be like a good the thing adaptation and becomes more of a conventional shooter. I think there's still like a gradient in terms of how well it pulls that off. I think. Um, yeah, after after the sequence that Patrick cited where we sort of started to fall off it a bit um, after, like, rescuing that guy in the cafeteria, they they send you to this underwater, like, uh, research base. Yeah, it's just umbrella. It's fucking it's just It's like, it's like, <laughs> like hey, like, sorry. Ground floors, gray be a, walls. Yeah. Uh, the, most, the most interesting thing that happens there is we kept losing our squad mates, and we couldn't tell if that was because I kept fucking up or if that was like how this was supposed to go. And then, but again, there's like, even in the back, you know, I guess it's not quite the back half, but getting towards the back half, there are like little interesting moments, like where I, uh, I just haphazardly tripped a bunch of like security doors and then looked at a, <laughs> looked at a security camera. And there was very clearly a squad mate that could have been mine. And he just gets mutilated by, by a, by a creature. And there is a save point right there. I could have just loaded it up. We made the decision to just eat Wait, it. This and is like no, make that, make it, make it canon. This is in the make it that I, I fucked that up, right? Yes, yes. I, um, I'm very extremely sorry to report that guy gets got no matter fucking what. No, oh, the there's no way to save him. The it's second I looked mirrors. at the camera, that the thing fucking whacks him. <sighs> It was, he wasn't in another room. He was always in that room. It's fucked I up. I need to be eternal sunshine. Remove <laughs> yeah, that right? from my memory because that is not this game. <laughs> right. so, but, you know, but, but so many games are smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I almost don't even hold that against the game because part of how you'd pull this off if it even worked more properly 
would be much like a telltale game works, right? Like is like if you can't pull off the systems as dynamically as you like, make the smoke and mirrors as uh make it feel like it happened. And yeah, that one right. felt until you just proved me <laughs> wrong. But it's fine. I don't right, right. I'm I'm frustrated, but I'm not actually that frustrated because like I wish the game had more times where it felt like, oh boy, had I done something differently, I could have affected it instead of just I triggered a cutscene. It definitely sets up for the the next time. There's like a big console of doors for you to be like, oh, yeah. let me take a look through these cameras a little closely just in case. Um, which I don't know if you remember that grid, the grid of like rooms where you have to like oh, yes. open the different yes. doors and stuff. Yes. It turns out there's actually a weird trick that I was able to pull One off. weird trick? I think it's like, Stupid. The things will react if a door opens near them close enough, and they'll run through it, assuming there's something on the other side. So you can you can actually bait. Oh, so them. you were able to do yeah the th- what we thought we, what we were trying but to do of just like lead so them. finicky. It was like okay. basically not worth it. I wanted I basically I did it to one of the things just to to see if I could, and I was able to trap it off to the side. But it's it's like very like yeah like. I I I spent way more time figuring that out than I should have, and then normally, like through normal, like casual play, nobody's gonna fucking run into that, right? Like, well, that was an instance in. in which, if I remember correctly, part of the reason I spent so much time fucking with it was because there was a uh, a, a some text in a computer yeah. that was like, and we've been fucking with these things, yeah, you know, we've been manipulating how their DNA works, and now fire is not nearly as effective, and I was like, oh, yeah. okay, so if I was to go Did there. You- and f- fight this then i i the fire just wouldn't work right. and then when we gave up and it's like let's just try fighting it i think i hit with fire and it like instantly went yeah. down just like well, here's <laughs> the thing i think that's actually of a, a a narrative trick that they're trying to pull that feels right. like something's wrong right yes because yes i think they're it is, they're, it is they're some implying poor, some poor writer being like ha okay well, no. So we actually don't have the manpower to put in a different character, an enemy type in here, and we can't. Well, like, no, there's something so specific. Here's the thing: there's something specific about that one because normally mm-hmm. that type of that model you have to hit twice with fire, and that one you only mm-hmm. hit once. And I remember it sticking mm-hmm. out in my mind when I got through that section. I'd be like, "Why did that one go down so quickly?" And I think the implication is that that's not the that's not the monster that the the the, the computer was talking about. Right, like mm. that has already moved, has been moved out, and I think is maybe implied to be the reason that one of the cages is like fucking ripped off of the thing is that it's like swimming in the the Arctic. Oh, water. because I guess the end boss of the game is like a big tentacle. Yeah, that like, comes out of the over. fucking yeah. ground. So it's like, if it's it's a weird thing that feels like oh was it glitched like, mm-hmm. but if you like take it kind of at face value it's like oh maybe it it implies that the thing that they're talking about isn't here and is still roaming somewhere amongst the level right um gotcha because it's just like yeah it goes down in one poof of a a fight it's like it was like weak (laughs) to fire like extra weak to fire so i was like that can't be right (laughs) just lights up leo marshmallow yeah no One of the other things I found interesting in my in my own like looking stuff up the game is that the developer stated an intent to have the game have a lot of replay value. That was part of the 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 idea of the system driven interaction. And I think the thing that we're kind of circling around here, Patrick, while while you're talking about how the smoke and mirrors effect is is actually totally fine. The smoke and mirrors effect is totally fine for a game you play through once. Sure. 
And and that is, I think that's that's part of the difficulty that they had was they wanted to make something that you could do multiple times. And so they couldn't even commit to just making a really intricate set of smoke and mirrors. The two competing desires are really fascinating to me. Yeah, this is, I feel like this gets de-emphasized uh, fairly close on the heels of this era. But like, we're still in the window where like, replay value was part of the rubric for like how you like how you assess games right um and now i think there's kind of like now in lieu of replay value it is the time to complete uh how many side quests are there thing where it's like the two expressions of value right like well once you go through it there's there's obviously more to do and now it's more we know you're not going to go through more than once but what a single trip uh we can we can give you um yeah this one sort of implies like hey this could have gone differently no no or (laughs) or it just would not have been worth it to make it go differently um but as bad as that little like submarine base was i think we get a little the game gets a little bit of a lift when john carpenter himself shows up (laughs) and the thing is unmasked (laughs) with okay so that mask a really shit plot in a lot of ways which is like a Obviously, a megalomaniacal <laughs> scientist is like, I can beat the thing. I can, I can, <laughs> we can, uh, we can, we can, we can hire the thing to work for me. Why? Well, hey, that's that's you know that that's a that's a plot point at the end of the thing from another world where you know the one dude is like, I can re I can reason with the monster <laughs> like to, like we can do this together. Oh yeah, but he but hold on, oh, he's God. he's entirely the embodiment of like. Oh, we should always extend hands to like you know intelligent life is here. Like we you know we can yeah. we can do the like come in peace thing. Correct. This right, dude right, is right. like, uh, the thing takes over all human life and bends it too as well. And I think that's beautiful. And I want <laughs> yeah, it's to- two very different variants of horny weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and or two horny this, science guys. This guy. This guy's horny to like consume the entire world and dominate via the thing. Uh, like the like everything uh, in the world but in the process what's unmasked is he's got beyond the fucked up like submarine research base he's got his uh little advanced research base that he's kind of like now that he no longer needs it he's kind of like pulled all the safeties pieced out and you kind of have to run through the shambles of this research base sort of recollecting equipment and teams to try and like fight your way out of this. And for a minute there, it turns back into effective like survival horror uh, where this notion that you're hyper dependent on the NPCs uh, and that this hinges much more on like where in the first half of the game, you've always sort of been able to post up and just be like, I will simply machine gun the thing as it comes through the choke point um, now you actually have to like play a bit more cat and mouse. And I, and I do feel like in that, in that stage, uh, you start to see maybe some of the things that got this game, some positive write-ups of like it being a little more tense, uh, feeling a bit, uh, communicating sort of the, the horror and, uh, like dread of the thing a little more successfully before we get to the final act shit show, which is <laughs> the escape phase. Uh, and then giant tentacle fight. 
One thing I am uh, curious, because talking about the game's horror and tension building, how did people feel about the the game's occasional attempts at cinematography? I think they're more common in the first half of the game, but I think that there are like there are moments in the in the in that early tutorial sequence, that vertical slice we were talking about earlier, where the game does take control away from the player for just a quick cut just to like the the dramatic te- the dramatic irony of knowing that you are being hunted by the thing even though your character doesn't. How did how did you feel that, did that land for you at all or did you think it was like even if it didn't land did it feel well constructed? Me I think it did. Like in general when I think of those beats I think it tends to work somewhat well at like varying the action a little bit. Usually like these moments would arrive and it was a little bit of a change up pitch coming. Uh, the sort of signal we were going to shift what the scene is. That doesn't mean it wasn't necessarily corny. Right. Uh, like there's there's a lot of hamminess in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, and a lot of it really is. We haven't talked about this. I think one of the biggest problems with this game is that your protagonist fucking sucks. Oh like God, it is. I want to push yeah. him down the stairs. It's astonishing <laughs> how like this is the one area where like complete whiff on thinking about what makes the thing work. But like very like it's this you're whipped through time like oh right this is like what video game protagonists largely were it was like what's the coolest thing we can imagine uh it's a slightly aggro uh like military dude who just treats people like shit and is completely unimpressed by like everything that happens so basically like uh these are the games that Xers gave us uh you know it was like this is this this to me is rad um <laughs> And this guy's like one of the worst offenders. And if you think about that in comparison to the fact that, like, I think it's, I think we all agree, um, like Keith David and Kurt uh, Kurt Russell are the coolest people in the thing, right? Yes. Like they feel like the cool guys of the station. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they're both terrified messes for a good portion of that film. Like it's like. Kurt Russell isn't even like he's kind of a wash up and he like he's the wash up we all aspire to be right like man if I ever just like said fuck it I'd do the same thing <laughs> I just I'd find some bullshit I, job I didn't give a shit about I'd be drunk off my ass and I just fuck up the equipment and get high and <laughs> like yeah but lose but a like, to a computer and get mad at it nah <laughs> we might only have one computer on this station well I guess they have two the doctor had one yeah yeah, he's got he's got some sort of advanced uh, like animation studio software. That he's, he's <laughs> they can do wild wild calculations about extraterrestrial life and how it would destroy the destroy the world. Yeah, but like, but here it's like you know what the thing really needed was a hyper competent, <sighs> completely unimpressed like macho guy to just like blast the shit out of stuff. And like that's that's one of the the other problems uh, run, running through this game. But but I do think in those moments where it sort of like does something with a cutscene or a transition or triggering a new sequence, I think in those moments they generally, for me, worked decently at setting up the next stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did enjoy that the game was pretty sparing about its use, but whenever. Like you'd you'd hit a hallway, and it was usually like when you're heading toward a boss or something like that, and you'd get the doom 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 doom, which they really could have overused, and 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 if anything, they underused it. But the like handful of times where it was deployed, it was like, oh shit, okay, 
You know, I don't know what I'm about to see is going to be particularly interesting, but I'm I, this music's got me jazzing to find out. Like, um, damn, y'all ever seen the thing? Fuck. <laughs> and and that and that's that is one of the like through lines in a lot of the positive like commentary about the game at the time uh, is that it's like aesthetic and production values like felt really cool. Um, that it, it was you know more than just uh, oh, it seems to do a decent job of capturing the original. Uh, Carpenter films uh, sort of aesthetic and vibe um, but that like huh I, like this actually like looks cool has the you know that's one of those things that's like so difficult to under like fully capture and appreciate with distance because all you do is see the seams and how we look at games now um, but moments like the music or as Randy pointed out the like flourishes of cinematography like I think are windows into why a game like this would like capture people um it sold a million copies right like it was not this is also not a game that is just a i think it's like uh critically like a cult classic but commercially like did fine um you know did, did well enough for universal and, and konami to want a second one um but it's stuff like that that like it's so, it's just so difficult to even though i played games with that in that era uh to like fully appreciate like what it would have been like to play something like this at the time um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the back half of the game is really bad. Um, yeah. it is. It is a. The game makes such an explicit pivot to being a corridor shooter that no longer cares about even things like ammo count. It is just. Would you like to slog? To the. It's just a slog. Like the ba- like. You wanted systems. What about the freezing of that system? Can you slog through these waves of enemies and these ice canyons long enough to find your next warm hidey hole to belly oh up God. with magazines of nine millimeter and then continue your massacre? I mean, Kato God. pointed out so delightfully, like, hey, I think there might have been a hole in that in that in, in that in that ice. Like, why? Why would there be a hole there? And it was. There was a hole to hide in to have warm enemies. Up run into to warm up yeah why am i warming up in this cave this ice cave shh, shh, i could have fresh. been more help i was frantically booking hotels <laughs> <laughs> i don't th- i mean it is why like the last two three hours of that game are excruciatingly bad i mean mm-hmm. if you did not watch our like playthrough of this game there is a sequence in which um there's a boss fight where this auto aim thing is a joke. It makes it so difficult to, to like aim at the thing, the, the the creature you're trying to attack. It is unclear. Like the, the, the rhythms of this game are shoot bullets at enemy until the reticle goes from green to red and then hit it with fire a couple of times, usually twice. And then it'll put it down. Uh, the bosses are like also that same rhythm, but it was anyway, I lost all my health. And, like, had no more health packs, lost my medic in an ensuing fight with a bunch of soldiers. But the boss fight was so fucking brutal that I didn't want to go back and play it again and try and do a better version of it where I either could have saved the medic or had a health pack at the end of it. I was just so thankful to be out of it. That leads to a sequence where I think a bunch of bombs go off, um, probably set by the, like, main enemy. And uh, there's this sequence where you have to escape this like big uh, blaze of fire things are exploding vents are exploding pipes are exploding and 
there are multiple sequences in which the game damages the player in which there, as far as we can tell, and as far as any of the YouTube videos, game facts walkthrough is implied, there's no way to avoid that damage. And so what happened was I walk into the sequence with half of a health bar, no health packs, and had to find ways to minimize damage where I came out of the mandatory health hits, only able to take one one hit, despite having waves of things and soldiers coming my way. And it was just, I mean, I do look back on it fondly because it was so fucking funny, um, <laughs> but it was not necessarily as fun in, in the moment. Um, and it is just, I think, it makes me curious to, to know like how you arrive at a place like that um i'm sure it's a compressed you know development schedule it's it's a it's the reality of like look there are no more systems to build like no more squads to put in like we we need to squeeze the player down a funnel and and get to the end um like no more illustrative a sequence no more illustrative that is where um right after one of the main boss fights you set off you accidentally set off oh you set off the bombs like begin a bunch of this stuff and the game says you have 30 seconds to make it to an elevator. And it's like, cool, I got this. And I got two squad mates with me. And I make it to the elevator with seven seconds to spare. But then the cutscene triggers with me going into the elevator by myself and my squad mates being blown up for no reason. Because <laughs> the game needs those squad mates to go away. Right. And it's over funny, and over. Because this is the. Go ahead. This has happened multiple times already in this game where you mm-hmm. transition to a different scene and the squad mates just disappear. One time this, I went down a hole, yeah. had two squad mates right behind me, and just squad mates gone. Why? Gone. Can't come down the hole? Um, and they decide this this is the one time they're going to give you a reason. They fucking died. <laughs> they yeah, fucking died oh, outside shit. of the elevator. <laughs> was those second seconds plenty of time for them to get into that elevator? It was. Do we need those characters to disappear? Because otherwise you're going to have potentially 12 squad mates <laughs> running around with you at this point in the game. Because... We haven't come up with enough justifications to get rid of them. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it becomes like a very, it's funny. It's like a tale of two games like this, this, that, especially that last third is what you normally would have thought of, of a licensed video game of that time, which is, hey, we're going to exploit the fact that people have a fondness for this license. We're going to give it enough of a budget to have some pretty screenshots and trailers. Uh, and then we'll just see how many people we can trick. This is not really developed, you know, the developers, I'm sure, are, you know, not setting out to make a bad game. It's the, the you know, the constraints in front of them that result in a product like this. It's the publishers um, putting this in front of them and asking and demanding it of them. But you, like that, that sequence, those sequences of the game are what you expect of why are they making a thing video game? And then that first half is like, oh, pleasant surprise that like this is what they decided to do with a thing video game and then at some point the game is just squeezed to a point where it becomes what it actually normally would have been of the era and and like ends up kind of tainting the the whole experience by being so bad um which is why i try to remind myself of the the parts that i did like early on because it really was a potentially interesting work that just like completely lost the thread by the time it had to finish itself off A thing I have been curious about throughout this entire conversation, um, and this might be a a difficult hypothetical, but what do you think the Patrick, Rob, and Cotto of of 2000 and what, 2002? Yeah, 2002, um, or in my case, 2007, Mm -hmm. uh, comes away from this game feeling? 
Uh, I want to finish. I probably this game. love it because I love Resident Evil games. Like hell yeah! Like I'm just, I, I bet I bet I would have adored this game at the time had I played it, and I and I I wouldn't have held the horrible sequence, the horrible like final sequences against it because you know what every other game did the same exact shit including most resident <laughs> evil games they just did those bad sequences with more competency than the thing does and so it wouldn't have been out of step with the genre um with its contemporaries at the time and the aesthetic the squad stuff i think i would have it would have been a game that i've been i would have been like man that's like one of my top 10 favorites of all time should i go replay it again probably not just gonna keep that in my thoughts and just <laughs> keep moving forward I think I would have been less charitable to it. Like this is an era where I'm actively rejecting like a lot of console games. Uh, right. In this, in this, well, this is where a split happens, right? This again, like Deus Ex comes out 2000 as well. You, you, there is just a divergent path of intro. You know, this is also the rise of the RTS. Like there's just like well, such a split happening. And so often it's like you see console games in this era trying to operate in spaces that largely because of interface and a bit because of hardware PC games can like operate in pretty easily and you play the like you you play the version on uh consoles and it's really really clunky and I think I would have found it really hard to get over the clunkiness in a situation like this uh because to me it would have it would have been like a inferior version of stuff that was already existent on um on pc like just to give you an example so a really uh a really popular playstation game um from when did colony wars come out uh Whoa. that's yeah one of my favorite Cygnosis games um please okay yeah so 1997 um yeah. One of the things that really reminded me, like, okay, this is this is really something, is that it was one of the few cases where it was a pretty decent match for some like stuff that was already happening on PC games as well. Like it's operating in the uh independence war came out that year in PC. And that was really rare. Usually, like when I would see a console game trying to uh succeed at pulling off elements of genre that like were pretty well established on PC. I just found it, it was always like, okay, this is the clunky, really compromised version of this. And the, and that gap didn't get, that gap didn't get bridged uh, for a while. And so I think at this, at this point it would have been really hard for me to be charitable enough to bridge that gap. Whereas now coming to it from a different place uh, and from a greater distance, uh, I do find it easier to get on with these games and take them on their own terms uh, yeah. because I'm sort of free of the narrative of like, what progress does this represent for the form? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not viewing it through the lens of progress. I'm I'm viewing it just like kind of on its, on its own terms and on its own terms, uh, you know, well, you heard what I, what I think it's, it's, you know, it, it's a compromised, but interesting take. Uh, on the material, even if I I do suspect that there's probably a a version of this that exists on PC that is maybe a little bit easier to wrangle, um, yeah. and maybe a bit easier to play around with those systems. But I just don't know if you know that might have just been the way the game was developed. Right. 
I don't know that oh. I'd make it through this game <laughs> back then. <laughs> I don't know that I'd make it per- past the first look. I was a dumb kid who like could not pay attention to anything and was easily frustrated by bad controls. I feel like I would have missed the options to even change the controls and just like walked away from the game because the other thing is I had a very limited like ability to uh, play lots of games. So it, like it would be like I would have to try this at a friend's house and if I really, really liked it, I might get my parents to like buy it for my birthday. But mm-hmm. like that was like the one. And you would not have really, really liked that. No, exactly. Yeah, right. It makes a bad, it would make, it would make it a horrible first impression on me mm-hmm. uh, right. because I, uh, I am very touchy about the way things feel to do, and that game does not feel at default super great or intuitive. Um, well, the tank controls don't work nearly as well. Yeah, in a fully three D environment, like Resnilla gets away with it because it has a fixed camera. Right. Um, yeah, and so I yeah I don't make it through this game. I don't. I probably don't <laughs> pick up this game at all. <laughs> in two thousand two, I'm not being paid to play it. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and I am, in fact, like, yeah, like Takata's point. The thing this game has going against it is it's being brought home with like another game from the rental store. Right. And chances are, unless I made two real bad picks that weekend, like this is <laughs> like this. We get to the part where the game starts to really like chug and it's just like, OK, we're done. It goes here. back and you don't get it again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. that's that would have been the more likely uh, how it worked out for me. Um, we have a couple of questions as we get yeah. to the ends of this. Um, Michael asks, "Hi, Waypoint Horse. What do you think the thing's real name is?" Cheers. Wait, what? Waypoint what? Waypointers. Okay. Not what I thought. I you said Waypoint Horse. Yeah, Waypoint Horse. Well, I, I thought you said Waypoint Horse. I, waypoint horse. <laughs> I like that. Hey, one. Waypoint Horse. Hey, Waypoint Horse. <laughs> What's up, sluts? Thank <laughs> 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 you. Uh, what do you think the thing's real name is? Um, Carl. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you see this? All this makes me. It was going around on Twitter. Um, it was like a quote from uh about uh, my neighbor Totoro and how they were gonna rename. Oh God. Uh. I'm hoping it was like written up in an article recently. Like it was sort of a like it was for the localization. It was being pitched as like name name him Carl. Oh, <laughs> Shit. my neighbor no. Jeff. My neighbor. God, if Carl. only now I'm just imagine a localized my neighbor Totoro <gasps> where there's just ample dialogue with Totoro, uh, Totoro, and it's like John Goodman or something. <laughs> Every time it's just deep breaths in the original, he says like five sentences. Hey kids, <laughs> yeah. What you doing here? <laughs> oh, your mom's sick, huh? Damn. God. Fucked up that happened there's, to you. There's a voiceover. And I knew it was gonna be a magical summer with my friend Mike. <laughs> my cool it. buddy Edward. Uh the thing's name is us. Wow, that's so true. It's just wow. like, yeah, me, I'm us. Us. And then you do a whole little a whole who's on first bit every time you talk to the thing, then it kills you. <laughs> I there's a there's that short story that someone wrote from the thing's perspective, and I think it actually does the the whole thing. Is I don't mean it, it, to watch that or to read that. It's it's solid. Um, it's uh fucked up. <laughs> hey hey, big shocker! The uh, short story from the thing's perspective, fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> 
makes you feel bad. Um, but in that, I, I believe it, it like refuses the, the idea of naming and just refers to itself as a collective and everything that is not yet a part of it is just a part of it that will someday be. Uh, and that is how it like understands Damn. the world. Um, like that is its, its frame of reference is that like, if you are not part of the thing, you one day will be. And so it does not see the point of, of distinguishing itself from others. Uh, next question. Um, do, do, do. Uh, from Will. Uh, hey, y'all. This is probably a question you'll get multiple times. Uh, but I have an idea for an answer, and I'm curious about your thoughts to my idea. How would you like to see the thing adapted into a video game? For me, I think there is a, pardon the wordplay, massive potential in an adaptation by Supermassive. They're great at making uh, entertaining characters and really a force of potential for the simultaneous multiplayer they had in Dark Pictures. Uh, Patrick, thank you for su- suggesting the thing. I'm really glad to hear more discussion of the movie. Thanks again, Will. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, like, essentially, if you told me yeah. Supermassive, who did Until Dawn, has the upcoming The Quarry, um, and did the Dark Pictures films, What's, uh, or movies, did, did a version of The Thing. That, was it them or someone that else that did a version of one of those games where you were putting answers in on your phone instead of passing around a controller? It was them, I think. Was that I think them? They did. Yeah. I think they did one of those. Like, back when Sony was funding a bunch of... right. The, like those mobile experiments i I play i played like two hours of that with some friends like hey guys let's check let's check this out like two hours <laughs> in i was like patrick we don't want to do this anymore because <laughs> then that's like how a, you there's a cop or something like i sat down and did a demo of it with austin right at at e3 years ago um because then that's how you could like throw in a betrayer thing right is like if everyone has their phone and you don't see everyone's choices and stuff like hmm you you get you get that moment of like oh so who's trying to screw us over like you can still have like that that moment in the room as well of like people arguing over what to do in a certain situation that adds that tension. Well, just also the like asynchronous like like multiplayer games are like so big these days. Like you can imagine there being like a thing branded multiplayer game that was like people on some sort of in different scenarios where they are the thing that could that could work um um even if that you know it's like they're like making games. they're making yeah like something like yeah like they're making games on evil dead that are like massively popular like if you can make an evil dead video game like work you could probably put the thing onto something interesting these days to pull it off i honestly i think this is close to it like, like the the yeah. idea that they had is so close to the version of the thing video game that i would actually want um it is it is because like i multiplayer hidden identity games already exist i can play those in game form i'm like in like video game form i can mm-hmm. play those in tabletop game form the thing that i'm really interested in is the systems driven hi- hidden identity game that this game like that that the thing 2000 evokes um and gestures at that is the thing that i that i really really want is is I would love to see someone basically try to redo all of these ideas uh, again. Right. Um, but it's just been like in, and even what they have now, if it wasn't such strict, go to this level, load the next level, and the game's like, oh shit, it's so hard to bring all this stuff into the next level. Yeah. Um, we don't want to. You know, if the open world, the thing is probably too ambitious, too big, but if you were to take refined versions of what's 
pitched here and give you like just bigger spaces. Like we're like, hey, you're in the facility area. You know what I mean? We're like yeah. you have a level the size of a Deus Ex area, right? Like here's these mechanics are going to and systems are going to play out in this kind of fairly big playground. That's not the whole game, but it's like a playground for these parts to, to play out until you move on to the next one. Like, that sounds really interesting. My um, mind, even though I haven't played it, just what I've seen of it, my mind wanders to, like, Alien Isolation as far as, like, space. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then with, you add in AI characters that you, like, interact God, with and have to, the, like, manage. Give the Alien Isolation team the thing license. Oh, my God. I would. <laughs> Let them do more Alien. Let them that's, do more Alien, true. but also give yeah, them the thing I, I feel like one, I've, them, I don't know. Them- I, 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 one was, I'm, I'm so excited to see what that. They're doing some new sci-fi yeah. IP that I'm I'm excited to see what that is. We yeah, I would much rather see them do something new. I think Ron, runs like a game. champ on the Steam Deck. By the way, I was floor. I was just sitting there. I'm like, damn, this really works. <laughs> uh last oh, question. My idea. Yes, Hold go on. Ahead. Yeah, please. I don't know. It's less a studio, but like, I can actually see a like resource conservation, like visual novel take on this working really well. Yeah. Where it's like. Mm. Conversations happen based on who stays grouped together, but then also the the trick would be that like the safe play is to not p- send people unescorted, but obviously eventually to like keep your resource stockpiles up, like you got to send people out alone. Um, and then once you get that uncertainty introduced, uh, like it'd be it'd be a nightmare of the amount of shit you'd have to write. To create like the sense of like is someone thinged is someone mm-hmm. like, but I can see that actually being a really effective way to get at the sense of um of of the material. Doesn't this already exist? Doesn't. I think there was a Switch game that came out last year that people talked a lot about. Um, it was a I know it was at least on Switch, but there was a visual novel that was or a visual novel style game that was hidden identity based. Mm. Wait, I'm trying to remember what this was. Was that n- Nosia? Is that no? Maybe Nosia? that's not what I'm thinking of. No, yeah, yes, Nosia. Yeah, G N O S I A. Oh yeah, I played. Yes. I played an hour of that. It was. It, yeah, it seemed I, interesting, and I didn't. I just didn't get back to it. Yeah, I believe that Rob, what you were describing is literally the pitch of that game. Um, from what I understand, I think this this. A good news route this may exist for you about this game the nocia lie pretending to be human they'll get in close trick and deceive and then eliminate one victim at a time the crew of a drifting spaceship facing off mm-hmm. against a mysterious and deadly threat known as the nocia having no idea who among them is the real enemy this is yeah this is <laughs> i think this might be the thing that you let just described yeah, it came out in january yeah yeah no this was like let me in it came wow, out for no steam one? recently yeah probably runs great on the deck yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Rob, get the video game. <laughs> a lot of untranslated screenshots. No, it was translated. It, it, translated. translated. Yeah, it yeah. was uh, very well received, too, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. Uh, did it come out on the Switch before it came out on Steam? Yes, it did. Yeah, right? Like, this is more, yes, this is okay. even more recent. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was one of those games that was, like, in a Nintendo Direct and came out on Switch today. Yeah, it did uh, what I understand really well. This comes, uh, last one comes in from uh, Christian Peterson. You're at a research base in the Arctic for six months. There is, as far as you know, no the things there. <laughs> you get one suitcase full of personal items and one large item, such as a <laughs> chess computer. Um, 
what are people bringing? What do you got? You, I mean, in some it's like you have six months to yourself. You're not going to be terrorized. At least I think within six months, you get six months before <laughs> there are th this ship before is you discovered, get fanged. God. Um, but you just like do something for six months in complete isolation because there's fuck all to do, and the computers are probably doing all the actual work that the the researchers are meant to be doing. Hmm. I mean, uh, what kind of computers are we gaming PC? It's yeah, I was gonna say gaming I was, PC. I was gonna say like what kind Bob, of what kind I of mean, internet do we have? Like what's just the situation? Bring the Steam Deck. There you go. Like, and then you could bring something else. Just load it up with a bunch of games for six months, and then that just fits in your your personal life. Not me, not me showing up with like a box full of TTRPGs and then nobody wanting to play, so I just read them <laughs> over the six months. <laughs> Kind of just, kind of just furiously studying rules, so he really understands them. In case just one, one night, <laughs> so it will finally Joe be the says, night. Joe, Joe has enough to drink. He says, "Fine, Kyle, play your fucking board game." I mean, TTRPGs are very popular in prison, so I feel like it would actually go over pretty well with people living on a Arctic ice, like an Arctic installation. I feel like people would be probably be pretty into that. Hmm. That's the thing. The real answer is like a computer because the computer can do many things, right? But yeah. if we're talking about at that time, it's a little less expansive sometimes, you know? I am also yeah. going to assume that you don't get to have an internet connection. Yeah, I'm assuming no. Well, yeah, you, so I, I mean, fine. I got a big computer. hard drive. Yeah, exactly. You preload that shit. <laughs> you right, load well, everything and go Steam offline mode. It's fine. You Just sitting there in the airport <laughs> authenticating my session, hit and go offline. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. God, I used to Oh yeah, but let's assume let's assume the com like they they have computers at the ice station so that we don't have to like just do the like what's going to kill like what's going to most effectively defeat boredom. Like you'll mm -hmm. have access to like, you know, some some games and shit. You'll you'll that'll be covered. What's the thing you can't do without? That's like See, I wanted to say like the thing I want to say is I want to read because it's like it's the that is like time the thing that, that I just gonna... that I just don't do anymore. Yeah, like I just yep. don't read. Yep. I don't. I read a lot, right? I read a shitload, but it's articles, you know, you know, news stuff. I don't read books. Um, I just don't. It just doesn't. If they're time consuming, they require an enormous amount of. You have to be alert. You have to be able to process information. And usually, when I have free time. It's like, well, a video game will, is almost like a jolt of caffeine. I, I, can, I can be tired and I can kind of prop myself up and play it for work or for pleasure um, once my, my family is asleep. And reading is the thing that I, has slipped so – I have slipped so far behind on. And um, I don't find audiobooks to be nearly as compelling. Like part of the reason I like reading is the actual act of, of reading. And so – it's like I'd want I'd want a bunch of books, but it's like how many how many <laughs> I get to one large item is is like one, one large box Kindle I, of books, one box of books, like books that are all the size of the stand. Because um, that's that's at least that's what first comes to mind, because that's like the if I just had a bulk of time, what I would want to do is just read a lot. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. Like that'd be one of the things It's like, well, might as well actually finished the book that i started like two years ago that i haven't Ren finished reading through a book but what is the book what, what uh, what's going is, on this is one of my uh library of america faulkner collections i was mm -hmm. i was gonna show this to patrick because he was talking about a big box of books you don't even need a big box of books let me show you this shit look at this book look at this book yeah how many pages do you think this book is 
That looks about like about a 350, 400 page book. It's a 950 pages of book. What, is it tissue? Hmm? Are those pages just like tissue? It's Bible paper. It's, oh it's like God. Bible style pages. So you get to have this book is the size of a 350 page novel, has three novels in it. <laughs> Damn. Has a 950 pages of novel. You so can I'll get pick, some, I'll just pick out like, you know, the 20 books I want to read and I just need to get them reprinted yes. on Bible page. You can get yeah. some dense ass fucking books. Listen, this is not Well, I'm I just get gonna, paperbacks is actually what I would do, right? Is like just I if paperbacks light, I could fit them in like I just have to get, you know, 30 40 paperbacks and I'm good to go. Do what I do. Wear cargo pants all the time. Keep your paperbacks and poetry books in your cargo pants. That's true. That's what I do every day. I walk out of the house. I'm just imagining. So I've cargo got my, pants my, full of tomes. My Bible paper book, <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the in the cantina, uh, you know, ha- hanging out the, the commissary, like, and I have a spill. Yeah. And I just watch that spill <laughs> drill through the entire book within seconds. Soaked. It's like it's just burning a hole. It's like, and oh, I like, this co- this like coffee. Quick, it- quick, sop it up. And like in the act of sopping it up, the part the paper just like dissolves. If it helps, I do have dumb bitch disease and constantly spill shit, and my all of my Library of America collections are actually in pretty good condition. Okay. Maybe then. Maybe. Um, I would probably do something really fucking stupid. Okay. Mm. Hit me. I would bring I would bring my Latin and Greek to English uh, lexicons and I would bring a stack of books to translate and I would like dust it all back off. Wow. Just be like, I mean, learning learning a language is another one that I was thinking of was like, ah, if I just had six months, (laughs) like just, just immerse, immerse myself because, uh, yeah, but here's, but here's how I know this fails. I would do it. I'd be like, yeah, man, now I got plenty of time. Now I can really like, I used to be able to sight read like some, uh, a fair bit of Latin. So I could like get back to that point. I could finally learn to like translate Greek for shit. Cause so I always sucked at that. Um, but what would actually happen is I'm down there like, oh man, it's fucking hard. God, it took me like an hour to get that fucking sentence done. And this is where the conceit where like you have access to computers and shit at the ice station like backfires. They're like, oh, the only thing I brought is fucking translations. I hate this. It's so fucking boring. And right over there, there's the there's the science lab like gaming PC. And I'm like, I can play anything. My eyes alight on Slay the Spire. Yes. of course of course that is what you play at the arctic research base it has to be a game that is just just poison for your skull you know <laughs> just just sick just sickness made manifest in mechanics and little sprites something that just ruins your whole shit god, god can you imagine how disappointed you'd be like you got back from the arctic research base what'd you do found the beat darkest dungeon I beat I beat Crucible. I I beat the highest. I beat the highest uh, Crucible level in Slay the Spire. I got I got all I got all twenty five. Um, I played there. I got all the modifiers. Um, it, was, it was pretty cool. What a waste of a good monastic existence. <laughs> Anyone else? 
Uh, I think that honestly, the the books are a, a pretty good one for me. I would probably just like bring a notebook. Uh, I just treat it as a fucking uh, uh, residency program. <laughs> See, I also yeah. thought of treat it as like a poetry wanted, residency. Yeah, like I've always wanted to write a script, just not because I would be any good at it, but just to say I did it. But I would just I would do what Rob did. I mean, like finally six months to actually write a script, huh? Been a long time since I played a red this, alert. This is the real reason I'm bringing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the real reason I'm bringing a a box of like TTRPGs. It's like one day that weird idea I had that might be a good TTRPG. I'll just sit down and write. They're fun to write. You can do one in like an afternoon. I know. The most like I. We had this really nice vacation a few years back. Um we went to this this place that MK's family uh, has typically gone on holiday uh, out in Michigan, but it was a real come to f- come face to face with who you are type of thing. So I was like, I'm gonna be out there for like over a week, and like I've got put a stack of books on on my Kindle, and I was like, these are gonna be, and it was all like academic text, history, like a lot of good oh, stuff, a lot of oh. good stuff. That I was like, man, now I can finally crack into this. It's gonna be great. And that is the trip where I got really into Bon Appetit test kitchen videos uh, <laughs> before we knew what we know now. But like just a solid week of like stack of great books that have been on the list for ages, like, you know, engaging. They they all were, were engaging uh, when I was sort of figuring out what I wanted to bring. The minute I'm like now I'm isolated with them. Nothing to do. I was like, I will sip these little internet videos through the straw of this of this t- like shitty little Wi-Fi connection and slowly harvest a bounty of uh, test kitchen videos and watch those on this break instead of doing any of that reading. And I think that would just be that like it would just be that writ large if I were sent to uh, the Arctic research base. It's become it's become waypoints reading chat, but I have I, I think that like. To, to continue the reading corner for just one second, I do think the thing that I've found is that the thing that has made me actually start reading again uh, is is turns out you just have to you just have to leave your home. This is this is this is the reading this is the reading trick to me is one uh, leave your home, Jessica. But I, that also am means I, so, I'm, I know that I know that you need to go to your your ballerina lesson, but. My colleague Ren told me I need, I need to reconnect. She can make her own decisions. I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying that I won. No, I know, no, 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 I know, I know, I know. I agree with you that getting out of your house is the is the better way to do it. And I also, agree. like, not on a vacation. That's the other thing. I cannot yeah. fucking read in my house. And if I go on a vacation somewhere, I will not get any reading done. However, if you put me at a park, you put me at a cafe, I will slam an entire poetry collection in a single night. If you put me at a cafe and give me a cup of tea, this is this is the secret to to reading with severe adult ADHD. The best um, read, the best reading I do, and the only reading I, I get done. I'm halfway. I'm on the our last my last time that when I uh, came out to New York, I read half of this really new uh, good Stephen King book called Revival. Um, is in the airport is like flights. Like yes. I. I I did. That's how I read The Stand. Like I read that. Like going to. Uh, Leipzig, the games convention, like ages ago. It's like I used to carve out like, hey, when I'm on a flight, there's a lot of things I could do, but it's also like focused attention. I I can't really go anywhere. The internet sucks. Uh, and I would I would read books like on on flights. And so I read half of it. And so I'm actually like 
I'm looking forward to seeing all of you, but I'm also like really looking forward to the fact that I'll finish revival. Like I'm having flight back and forth. Um, like that, those are the moments where I would find that like focus, like, cause it's during the day I'm awake, I'm sharp, like, and I can focus, I can focus in on it. So like my version of the park, my leaving of the house is like in an air, air in an airplane, re- reading a book. This is why I love, this is why I love the, uh, uh, Amtrak, uh, Amtrak line from, uh, uh, New York to, um, uh, Providence. Fucking love that shit. Love that shit. Put me on one of those. I'll read. I'll read. A, I'll read a ton. Ugh, delicious. <laughs> Books are good. Hey, what can Waypoints read in Corner? The secret. The secret podcast hidden within our Waypoint One Hundred One on the thing. Hey, well, I, I still need. I want to read that novella on the thing. We're not gonna. We won't cover it, but I. I do want to eventually read that. Bring it all to a close by reading the original work that inspired all of the stuff. I think that's it. Yeah. Good, good video game, bad video game. Interesting video game. Interesting you video know, game. Interesting I agree. Video game. I think I would have really liked it if I had played it as a kid. This is mm-hmm. the exact kind of game that when I was a kid, I would play for like, because the way I experienced games as a kid was my grandma would go to the video store every day after school because she got mo- she rented movies every day. Uh, and so I would go and I would pick out a game uh, that came for free for one day with every movie. Uh, and so I had oh, that, that's a good deal. It. It's a really nice. good deal where if you get a game, you get a movie for free. And so she would just be like, yeah, we might as well just get a game for a day. And then we both get, you know, I get my movie that you want that I watch when you leave and you get your game. And so <laughs> I ended up playing through the entire not through, but playing two hours of basically every video game in the family video. And so I didn't Family finish. Family video was also was also our local. I mean, there was yes. a blockbuster, but the the one that we went frequented was a was a family video. Still exists. The, the one that we went to still yep. somehow trucking. I think I think the one <laughs> in my town in my hometown uh, still does still does exist. But I ended up playing through the entire PS2 catalog of that store just like in two hours uh, after school. Uh, and so that's how I like started thinking about video games as systems is that like I had games for two hours every day and I had to learn a whole new rule set and a whole new system every single day. And so the vertical slice opening of the thing would have become stuck in my brain for the rest of my life in the same way that the day that I went to the video store and picked up a copy of Dark Souls and realized that my used Xbox 360 had a Dark Souls save file at Sen's Fortress on the hard drive and it became stuck in the corner of my brain for the rest of my life where I was like, what the fuck was that? That was the coolest shit I've ever seen. I think the thing would fall into a similar place in my mind. Yeah, because you never really experienced the the version of this for like when we rented cartridges as kids, where you just hoped what you got back was the same cartridge that you <laughs> like if you're playing an RPG. Yeah. Um, smaller like the family video only had one, right? So you right. at least had some confidence that it was if it got rented out. What you were just hoping for was like <laughs> I was, so I was writing like the it. save files, like Patrick, please don't erase. You know, like just hold, <laughs> pick another one, pick another slot, please. Uh, like it's, I've told I did have that with DS Why games. I never beat Final Fantasy three was like I just I, the closest I got, and then someone renting Nintendo DS games was that for me, or I would, or I would, because um, those I would be able to take home for the weekend right. uh, after I left my grandma's, because I would go to her house every day during the week, but not as much on the weekends, and so those were the ones that I had to, I had to be like, please, please, don't, mm-hmm. don't take this from me. <laughs> um. Next on 
waypoint 101s is actually to be determined. Uh, what, is, what are you doing, Rob? I'm, I'm put. I'm. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Good tell me you were stretching and doing a weird. Uh, yeah, like full transparency. Like Natalie is. She's in crunch. You know, she's well. Hopefully, she's not in crunch. But like, I mean, matter you know, <laughs> she's working really hard to finish a video game. Um, so her proposal that would have would have been next of uh, System Shock one and two. Because why? Why pick one? Um, no, we should do twenty five hours of two video games. I agree, Rob. I still think. Mm-hmm. Still think there's something with a little bit of like some sort of severance, citizen sleeper, like that's like one podcast though. That's one like that's podcast. not. So a month of content. Yeah, that's true. No, everything has to be a month of June is already an embarrassment of riches, you know? June will be an embarrassment of riches. We just need for... something to bridge. Who knows? Maybe by July, our problem is solved. We right. just need yes. something to bridge this little gap. Um, And then we're also sort of waiting to see if the other game, if we wanted to swap the order, would be Final Fantasy Tactics, which was, was Kato's pick. Um, The uh, increasingly... 99% accurate, like leaked NVIDIA uh, list <laughs> had a Final Fantasy Tactics thing on there, you know, whether that's a full remake or squares varying degrees of what it considers to be a remaster. Um, we're not sure, but uh, like if they were to announce that in June, you know, there might be an argument for like waiting and tying that all together. Um, I can make you all play The Last Express. Just It just had its 25th anniversary. I would play The Last Express. What? That's the depressing train game about the beginning mm-hmm. of World War One, right? Mm-hmm. You it's say Jordan depressing. Mechner, Prince of. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's a Jordan Mechner game. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I already sorry. wrote the essay. Admittedly, <laughs> I was told it needs some work, <laughs> and you have to do some lifting yeah. if you're going to do this. But so, you have a half-finished essay just sitting yes, sitting around. Sitting around. Yeah. I mean, do, what, wait, Patrick, are you incredulous about this? I have like three half-finished essays just sitting around. Did you write that dur- like during that like this period? No, I, that makes sense. But like once you've transitioned to like full-time writer and you get uh, tired of doing the work, it's rare that you're like going off and writing critical essays beyond what you're doing day to day. I put something down two weeks ago. You ran, you've been doing this for a fucking year. For a year, <laughs> yes. Okay, for a year, yes. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, did you do this during the Waypoint era, Rob? Literally, Patrick, I did this like two weeks ago. Like, oh, I am, oh. I like, I just need to, Why? I need to, recur- <laughs> I need to like work, wind up a new intro for it. Uh, but okay. No, I'm always, I'm always ready to like guide people through this game. Who told you that it needed work? My old boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Oh, very funny. All right. Well, we need to fix Kinsfield. Maybe we'll do a little Last Express. Right. I would love to. I would love to play the Last Express. I would love to have an excuse to play the Last Express. Yeah. I would consider that a joy. Incredibly funny. This rules. Um, all right. Well, you know, we're going to figure it out. Like, again, also, I you know. We just did. <laughs> it sounds like a dub to me. Uh, and then, but also, yeah, Kato and I are going to finish Kingsfield on stream. So I think we'll probably try and do some of this stuff before we formally commit to a a full one one probably in July. Oh, Patrick will be annoyed though when I make him read the Guns of August. That's fine. He can What's handle that? it. The Barbara Tuckman uh, book on the outbreak of World War One. Why am I going to? 
Is it like miserable to read? No, it's just it's it all goes to the last express. It sets the stage, but it's just going to be some, you know, you know, you know what? You're right. It is time. You know, you're a dad. It is time to get you gateway drugged into military history. You're right. That's how I should look at this. <laughs> is this Gettysburg was just one step one in a long process of Patrick going to read the guns of August. Here, Patrick, I got you this Siegfried Sassoon an- anthology. Is this game rotoscoped? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Like- yes. And Kato, here's what else is great about that. Not only is it rotoscoped, but because it's rotoscoped, you know how the problem sometimes with acting is like the right people for the role are not the hottest people you could cast for that role? Mm. Well, The Last Express <laughs> solves that problem. <laughs> By photographing the hot people and then having professional voice actors do the lines. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, no, well, stay, stay tuned. Oh, do, you, do you want to do your proper outro? No, right. I think we nailed it. I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of Seinfeld. Wow. Well, that makes sense. That's not a wow. Kato, that is not a wow. Not deserving of a wow. <laughs> that like, makes all I, the sense of the world. What year did Seinfeld go off the air? Never. It's still on the air. No. The thing's rerunning forever. I'm, I'm yeah, saying, it, what I'm saying I, is I, that it's... It's like much more likely that... I, I'm sure this is not true, but much more likely that... Uh, Ren's generation of Seinfeld is The Office as it got that like cultural resurgence from, yeah. from Netflix. I would sure. say that yeah, the the Office became the cultural standard for yeah. the like, yeah. the group of people I grew up in in the worst way possible. Um, it just definitely uh, was. It felt like it was on all the time, randomly. You Ron, didn't even have, have to try. This, have you read one of these? Uh, did you buy a fridge? Where, no, I didn't where, buy a fridge yet. Okay, I'm just going to paste this to you because I don't know. Like, it's actual, like, legitimate. <laughs> one I enjoy, they're misspelling. Oh, yeah, yeah, name. yeah, 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 yeah. You saw this one? Okay, I just, it seemed like legitimate advice. And I was like, I hope you saw this. <laughs> no, we, so we, we're, we're working through the Waypoint troubleshooting. And on the, on the podcast, I should note that people send in good suggestions. But I do think the fridge might be in deep shit. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I just thought that was, you know, sometimes oh, no. devices can. Oh. Uh, sometimes that can be simple things. All right. Oh, uh, time. Music. That is. Uh, yeah, yes, ready. and then I'll pull up my music. All right. Uh, Forty-eight. Did we all get that? I did. I did. Well, I was just dead silent here. Excellent. So, well, sometimes. Discord. There are magical yeah. moments where Discord eats the... Yeah, Chris yeah. It's the also clap. perfectly synced. Yeah. Chris will do mm-hmm. it. That's what it is. That for perfectly synced for that clap that we're told that we don't have to do. Mm-hmm. Kyle loves it. <laughs> I will never give it up. Never. No, it's fine. I understand. Uh-huh. Uh, Kato, for the record, my clap will come at about four minutes into my recording, so I just had it running. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> it was too late for me to restart the recording when I called the time. Yeah. And I didn't want to be the person to call the time and then be like, wait. So I just, you know, four minutes. Uh, so instead, you're telling us about it. Yeah. I would like yeah. to also publicly acknowledge that um, my recording was also going for the last four minutes. Cool. Um, Mine didn't, Kato. I, I hit record like a couple moments before we hit clap. So. <laughs> well, great. Thanks. Listen, I just, I, just think it, I just think transparency is important for all of us, you know? Like as, like as colleagues, I think we should just like, you know, aspire to transparency. And I'm glad that we had this moment. I don't know. I could know less about everyone. No. no. <laughs> if I'm being honest. If, if I'm being transparent, I'll say I less. I know less. <laughs> I'll say less. Jesus. <laughs> 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 Ralph just sips his coffee. Well, I feel really self conscious because, like, yeah. I thought you liked helping me on my client's journeys. <laughs> Waypoint Radio, talk less, I fucking guess. <laughs> yeah, my favorite Hamilton lyric. <laughs> I hope they make a sequel to hell just for you. <laughs> I'm on a roll, actually. Talk yeah. less, I fucking guess, though, would be a that's great a, line. That's a Miranda line. Yeah, I can, for I sure. can, I can hear Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda squeaking that out through the fucking mask of his face. Jesus. Jesus. That's not a burn. Oh, that no, that's not you, a burn. You, my I'm not sure you deserve that one. <laughs> the mask refers to a singing range as opposed to like, oh. a oh. place that, you, that your voice comes right. from. I, I like, just realized oh that I was like, <laughs> it sounded like I was making fun of his face. I wasn't. Yeah. It's just that when you sing and you project through this part of your face, um, it's like the nose in this region, it's I, called the mask I, of I, your you face. You know what? You could also view that as for all... Uh, us people who can't sing, you can find your place. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You become, you write musicals and then you create for yourself a part. What if this character mm-hmm. doesn't sing? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> and also it's me and they're the most important character in the, in the play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These, just hypothetically speaking. Yeah. And also what if I made a bunch of music for uh, children's movies uh, and then made myself the lead singer of every one of those movies? songs he's shockingly good at that stuff though like, yeah. you know he's moana, great at it moana and encanto soundtracks are he's actually not in the encanto soundtrack basically um, yeah he, he stepped aside on that one like he's a he's a good he's a relatively solid yes. producer and yes. like you know what was significantly better than i thought it would be mm. was the new mary poppins with like Emily Blunt and Dick it. Van Dyke and Lin Manuel and well, Meryl Streep, yeah, Blunt's it's, very good in it. Everyone, everyone is good in it. Like yeah. it doesn't, it isn't really a well conceived story. Like it's a bunch of like almost sketches, musical sketches, or I guess very much like a, a lot of like very much like like Mary Poppins, like Mary Poppins, yeah. <laughs> um, but like within that constraint, it. It delivers pretty yeah, goddamn well. In the, in the spectrum of like bad Disney unneeded sequels, it's actually a pretty yeah. decent one. And yeah. also, like, I'm not going not gonna to lie, like uh, Dick Van Dyke digging deep to like bring it yes. one last time as a yes. physical performer uh, is really something to see. Yeah, you expect in that movie, they're like, oh, okay, they just paid him some money to come back. He's old. Like this seems sort of sad. <laughs> he earns and it, that check. He does. He does. Yep. He does. 
He danced All on right. the table in that movie, right? Damn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Patrick, it's time for us to earn that check. Yeah. I would say we've, <laughs> we've been earning that check. Uh, All right, Patrick, you want to take us in? No, you have to do the intro. I have to do the intro? I have to do the intro. I wrote a whole other, uh, you can set me up for the thing, but this is, this is, this is your bit. <sighs> All right. <laughs> I stress also, you out. be sad about it. <laughs> No, because he likes to be prepared. Fair. 